The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the community. This created by Carl Sinn. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. My name is Professor Des O'Neill. I'm a geriatrician and I co-chair along with the Professor of German, uh, Professor Mary Cosgrove in Trinity, are the longest running medical and health humanities uh, seminar series in the Republic of Ireland. Um, this has been really a most fruitful uh, series. It's brought out a lot of strengths in a developing an important area, which we think is really important, not only in terms of giving healthcare students and professionals a broader sense of what it means to be uh, well, to be ill, to experience the health system, to understand the socio-cultural frameworks within which uh, we practice, but also the many elements of aesthetics and art, which allow us to appreciate and understand these areas. The area of aging is hugely important in healthcare, and it's one that's often shrouded in myth, and aging is one of the key research areas of strength uh, within Trinity College Dublin, with a significant amount of, of activity. So uh, we're really pleased to have this uh, seminar today, which focuses on such a huge advance for our society, the really the greatest advance of the 20th century, the almost doubling of lifespan. And um, we're still often in many ways struggling to find, to see that this truly is a longevity dividend. And teasing out the complexity of later life is one of the great assets of cultural gerontology or geriatric medical uh, humanities. So we're particularly pleased that one of the silver linings of COVID has been a greater uh, ability to link in with colleagues uh, in, in other areas where much as I'm sure Professor Cohen Shalev would love to be in Dublin, uh, with busy academic lives as travel, uh, this really makes opportunities for us to link and engage with colleagues in other areas. So I've been a great fan of Professor Cohen Shalev's uh, work. I'm particularly proud of my copy of um, uh, his aging and cinema work. Uh, Professor Cohen Shalev studied at the University of Tel Aviv the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and the University of Toronto, where he received his PhD degree in 1985. He has since taught at the University of Haifa and Tel Aviv University in Israel. And among his publications are Both Worlds at Once, Art and Old Age in 2002, Visions of Aging, Images of the Elderly in Film, 2009, and with Miri Varan, Praying on the Fleeting Abundance, an anthology of late life poetry. Uh, he has a very large output of hugely um, scholarly but approachable work, uh, particularly I've loved his work around Ibsen and aging. So really looking forward to this presentation. Questions, answers, points for discussion, please add in to the Q&A. So it will be written questions and answers, which uh, Professor Cohen Shalav and I will deal with. So uh, Professor Cohen Shalav, welcome to Trinity College Dublin, the Trinity Long Room Hub, their Humanities Institute, and really looking forward to your presentation. Thank you very much, Des. Can you see me? All right? Yep, perfect. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, well, thanks for the invitation. I'm looking forward to it, too. Uh, are we starting? Yes. Yes, we're on. Yep, absolutely. Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, once we talk about aging, we talk about time or, or lack thereof uh, and about time limitations. I have about 40, 45 minutes uh, allotted to me in this frame of the seminar. I have to say at, at the start that I don't have a new theory of, of cinema and aging to offer to you. And I, I'm going to try to make use of this little time to raise some doubts and hesitations and the very basic questions that have been nagging me for the long while, for about 15, 20, 20 years that I've been, I've been working on, on aging and, and, and cinema. Uh, and uh, maybe to you know rethink a few distinctions and share some of my observations and 
to quote the poet Wordsworth, obstinate questioning that I have about the use of, of cinema and films in, in the study of aging, in uh, medical humanities, cultural and humanistic gerontology. Um, in the light of what's been happening in the last, let's say, two decades, I believe we have to rethink our position as, as scholars and as practitioners vis-a-vis -vis cinema as a medium of, of uh, a popular culture, uh, as well as artistic endeavor in the context of aging and humanities. It may sound too familiar because I'm, I'm gonna present and talk about and, and, and wonder about the difference between uh, art and entertainment, which is very crucial to understanding the media, the, the medium of film. Uh, but even if it's, I don't know, some people will think it's trivial, I think it still needs rethinking because what we're facing in the cultural world the last 10, 20 years is a tsunami, I should call it, of, of elder cinema. A plenty, like almost, there's, doesn't a week go by without seeing an ad uh, of some new film about, about old age. And it hasn't always been the case. I remember when I started looking into the question about 15 years ago, uh, and I was about to write a book on, on, on cinema and aging, I had to scrap the bottom of the barrel to find, to find uh, um, films, not, I mean, there are the, classic, the classics, of course, but there were very few. And I remember calling one of my papers, uh, um, few pictures and little motion, because there really wasn't very much aside from Bergman's Wild Strawberries and Harold and Maud and um, Alain René's uh, um, Providence. And, you know, of course, the On Golden Pond, which is not really a movie about aging, but that's, that's, that's a different issue. Anyway, um, so uh, there was very little to go by. Around the year 2000, something happened. Well, what happened was obviously what, what uh, Adez was, uh, was um, saying earlier, uh, the prolongation of, of, of uh, uh, um, life expectancy, especially in the West. And there were a lot of people, mature, older people, who wanted cinema to respond to their situation, to represent it, to say something meaningful about it. Uh, and um, there was what my colleague Sally Chivers called a phenomenon, which he calls the silvering screen, where all these films from the late two decades that put older protagonists in at the center. And what we have to, I mean, this there's a, there's a saying from, from Ecclesiastes uh, about um, Sorry, I, yeah, uh, this is wealth is reserved for its owner to this detriment. Now there's all this plenty of films raise the question of what are we as gerontologists, medical humanities scholars are able and want to do with those, what can it contribute to uh, gerontological discourse? I'd like to start with some with something of the moment, with the, the, the very present moment, with a film barely out of the oven. While preparing for this talk, I made a trip from Tel Aviv, where I live, to Haifa up north for an annual film festival this time of year. And I watched a film that has just been released about a month ago in Britain which is called The Last Bus. I don't know if anyone has heard, seen or heard about, I don't know about the distribution policy, if it's already in Ireland, but it, it came on screen in, in England and uh, in Britain about a month ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, it's about 
Is, am, am I the only one who hears sound in the background? All right. Yeah, we can hear you perfectly. Hearing you perfectly. All right. Okay. Um, it's about the, the film is about um, a pension, an ailing pensioner called Tom Harper, played by Timothy Spall. All slurred speech and shuffling gait. And he makes the most of his freedom pass by travels uh, and, and travels by bus from his home in, I hope I pronounced it correctly, uh, John O'Groats in the upper part of Scotland, upper northern part, uh, to Cornwall, to Land's End, with the purpose of scattering his late wife's ashes. By the way, the word last appears many times in. in in the films we're talking about. Uh, I'll mention later uh, Last Last Chance Hobby, and there was a movie in 2000 called, um, um, well, uh, Last Rites, I think. Um, again, about scattering somebody's, somebody's ashes. Uh, anyway, uh, I watched it very enthusiastically because the landscapes are really magnificent. Um, the shots absolutely thrilling, breathtaking. And as a virtual tourist, I found myself taking these views and strides. As a gerontologist, however, I found myself in, in, in two minds. I found myself in, in a doubt. It was a very problematic territory fraught with paradox and contradiction. At the end of the screening, the audience cheered spontaneously. I have to admit, I envied them. I found myself, for me, somewhat difficult to cheer with the crowd because it meant playing along with something that I usually experience as a falsity, falseness, which is sometimes very often inherent in these films. Well, not everybody cheered, especially not among the critics. One critic called this film plodding road trip movie. Uh, and uh, another, I think is the, the, the Times, the London Times critic, uh, John Mayer. Uh, he said it could have been the straight story. Remember the film 2000? Uh, with a bus path, with a bus pass, but instead he, he calls it a cacophony of bum notes. Tom, the protagonist, for instance, bonds inexplicably with everyone he meets, teenagers, newlyweds, moms, dads, and total strangers, and all are bafflingly beguiled by this ancient codger routine. This routine, I can say, I can find in many of the recent films about old age. He, and he says, the same critic, something that I want to, to uh, uh, stay with for a moment. He says, there are hints of a deeper, more authentic movie within. Talks about director Gillis McKinnon, a veteran filmmaker in his 70s. Uh, I think he must have been aware of his potential, but could not or would not fulfill it. Uh, I'm going to talk about some more examples, but to finish this off, uh, the uh, same John Mayer says about the film, it's just depressingly crude and underworked. At another place, he says that uh, Timothy Spall's work is overworked. So within this overworking and underworking, we find, I think, the, the, the gist, the, the, the essence of some of, these, of most of these films. Uh, overdoing is the effort to present the old protagonist as desolate, gloomy, like to squeeze every drop of misery and sadness. And at the same time, that's the, the, the overcompensating this feeling, this misery, by triumphant denouement, heroic feats of adventurous audacity. It's like Adventures for mature audiences. 
these polar extremes metaphorically represent a pervasive cultural perception of old age that bears resemblance to a mental dynamic underlying a manic depressive state. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm hearing something at, at the back and it bothers me and I don't know where it comes from. Do you hear anything like singing and music? We, we don't hear it. You don't hear it. I hear it. I wonder where from. <laughs> anyway, okay. If it's all right, we'll, we'll continue. Um, because on the one hand, there is an avoidance of the complexity and the real situation of, uh, of old age. And trying to, in a way, please the audience or leave the audience with a, a nice feeling with a rounding off, we call it the happy ending. Uh, and it's, it caters to a very deep need, but does it uh, at the expense of cinematic complexity, at the expense of, of reality. Uh, I want to like, quote two short examples. One of them is an anecdote. Uh, I don't remember, uh, I think it was 2008, um, the film The Bucket List with uh, Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman, uh, directed by Rob Reiner. And Roger Ebert, the, uh, the famous American, late Roger, um, American critic, said about it, it's a movie about two old people who are nothing like people, both suffering from cancer that is nothing like cancer, and setting off on adventures there are nothing like possible. And he says, I urgently advise hospital, do not make the DVD available to your patients. There may be an outbreak of bedpans thrown at TV screens. Now, Ebert himself was already in advanced state of cancer at the year of this film came out. And, and I think it, it, it says a lot about the kind of Re realistic or true-to-life depiction of old age. Now, the second thing is an anecdote from a, a conference a few years ago, in a gerontological conference, and someone presented a paper on the exotic Marigold Hotel, 2012. I'm sure you've seen or know about this film. It's a story about a group of British seniors retiring to India. The argument of the paper was that the film offer, offers, a, I quote, a canny perspective on the under-analyzed racial politics of contemporary aging. And it characterized British seniors outsourcing of retirement to India as both economically sensible and personally extraordinary, glossing over the everyday life of Jaipur residents. And the presenter says, wants to argue that the films try to make exotic the everyday white life of old age, but that the exoticism relies on racism arising from making one person's everyday into another person's exotic. And there's an interesting uh, sentence that I remember from this presentation, which says, the fact that both films garnered box office success indicates that they offer a fulfilling and rewarding fantasy of late life. And this is again a rewarding fantasy of late life. Now at the end of the presentation, uh, one of uh, a participant, an old lady, rose and said very angrily, I saw this film. It's a terrible film. It's so untrue. It was a sense of insult, of anger. Uh, and I find this, this, this captures our, our dilemma with respect to, to using films in humanistic cultural gerontology. Because what we usually do in, in not usually, but often do, is uh, superimpose a sociological analysis on a psychologically unsound narrative. A film is first and foremost a film, a cinematic creation, a work of 
cinema, a work of art, only then it can be made into a sociological text. Many of the cultural analysis of film in aging everywhere is treating the subject as transparent, blind to the medium in which they're transmitted. Uh, I think not, not a few uh, gerontologists, especially from the sociology side, um, they like to study uh, like blockbusters, like the Marigold Exotic Hotel, like the Bucket List. They assume somewhat tautologically that if something works, meaning that it's very popular, it's because it reflects values and social and deep social structures and give expression to a social reality which is full of anxiety or at least embarrassment. And these blockbusters are enjoyable because of the very fact that they offer a symbolic solution to subconscious or unconscious anxieties that are caused by social experiences and personal experience that seem unsoluble. And I think that what this old lady, who is herself a gerontologist, warned, warned us against is the, the fact, I think she noticed something very, very, very basic that, that startled her, that any theoretical discussion of a film, of a, a highly rated film, can be accepted at face value, can be accepted as a faithful representation of reality, whereas it is quite obviously it is not. Uh, and then we can through be attracted to these pictures of reality that are more manipulative cinematically than honest, true, and faithful psychologically. I want to quote, to bring another short quotation, um, Anne Basting, uh, a foremost uh, gerontologist, in her book, Forget Memory, in 2008, says something very interesting that I had to read a few times to, to get into it. She says, the usual in mainstream cinematic stories is simplicity, or actually, which means, I think, oversimplification, good or bad. Stories that live in the gray area between these polarities tend to lend in the ghetto of independent film and or PBS, where the audience members number are much smaller. I think we have to look at it or read it again, listen to what she's saying. She's saying that because the exposure of independent films is smaller, we should leave it aside and stay with mainstream cinema. What I've been trying to do in my book and in and, and papers, and I'm, I'm gonna give it you know, a couple of examples in a few minutes, is the other way around. I want to expose, at least to the professionals, the existence of such films with the purpose of getting maybe less popular, maybe less immediately satisfying picture of old age, but instead a more challenging, more complex, more serious, and sometimes, let me, let me say, sad or depressing or unpleasant sides of, of getting old. Uh, I think I, don't, I think my time my time is beginning to run out. Uh, so before I try to show you a couple of examples, uh, I want to uh, quote something or, or, or talk a little bit about uh, critical responses 
or a certain crit critical response to a film that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's called Last Chance Harvey. I don't know if any of you have seen it with uh, Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman, uh, a kind of uh, romance, like mature year romance. And um, again, soothing and consoling. Uh, but again, the kind of entertainment that enables a repose, a break from intolerable complexity, uh, ideological confusion and emotional unrest. Uh, and uh, I want to, to quote the New York Times critic, Manola Dagis, I think, I hope I pronounced her name correctly, uh, which was uh, it's just a, a few sentences. She said, there's something irresistible about watching two people fall in love, even in contrived, sniffle and sometimes gag-inducing films like Last Chance Harvey. Uh, and, and she looks inward to her own position vis-a-vis -vis that film. And she's in, again, as I was trying to say in, in the beginning, like in two minds. It's very tempting to experience that kind of, of easy solution. And she said, uh, she talks about the film and, and, and about the way that they go about the, their romance. And there's a scene where he takes her, he's an American who comes to London to his, his daughter's um, wedding. And she says, um, well, and, and in that wedding, Harvey delivers a speech about love and forgiveness, so shameless, fraudulent, and maddeningly effective that I wanted to hurl a shoe at his head. And instead, she says, seduced by its two wily leads, I reluctantly gave in to this imperfect movie. Despite the cornball dialogue, pedestrian filmmaking, some wincing physical comedy, etc., etc. Um, and I think this is this is our basically. I'm I'm, I'm coming back to it. This is our, our dilemma in, in, in treating and going and making use of a lot of these films. Uh, uh, there was like, I'm just gonna mention a couple of more films. One was two, three years ago, which called Edie. Uh, Sheila Hancock as a, as, as a widow who climbs a mountain in, in Scotland. Again, kind of an adventure that ends up in, in, in victory, in a triumph. Um, and uh, another one, again, it's, it's like a whole subgenre, mostly British, interestingly, uh, about films about old age, uh, like of retirees getting together. And the film uh, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to uh, is called Finding, Finding the Foot. Uh, Sorry, finding you finding your feet feet about a group of ulcers um, that find refuge in performing that uh, dances like in, in, in dancing. Uh, and again, finding your feet, yes, with with, with the same Timothy Spall, Silly Imri, uh, Imelda Staunton. Uh, and one, one critic called it the senior bait cinema, glorifies the act of seizing the day and taking second chances. Uh, there's nothing wrong with closure, of course, but again, it has to be earned. And uh, I think what we're facing culturally is something that could be, well, I don't know the word is dangerous, but could be detrimental in creating a kind of expectation because it's a public medium, because it has a huge exposure, we stand the risk of being seduced to believe in a kind of what's called nowadays alternative reality. Okay, uh, 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 where am I in terms of, uh, of, of time? 
you've still plenty of time. It's uh, we're just about twenty five minutes in. So okay. uh, you've All got right. another 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 20, 15 to twenty. All right. Okay. So uh, I want to see if that works. I'm going to start by an example. Sorry, second. Okay. I don't suppose you see, you see anything, do you? Wait, wait. I'm getting some kind of a technical problem here. Would Would you like Quiva to show the clip, or has she got the clip? Uh, yeah, I think that will be preferable. Okay. Perfect. We'll show it now. Okay. Je suis en train de faire un film sur toi et sur moi, d'accord Et à part ça, ce que je t'ai déjà expliqué, c'est que la petite caméra que je tiens souvent dans mes mains, d'accord Elle est simplement le témoin de nos conversations, c'est tout. Très beau, très bien. En général, général 9 sur 10, ça les rapporte. Yeah. Moi, je crois que le but n'est peut-être pas que ça rapporte, mais plus que ça donne des émotions. Pas seulement, c'est, c'est tout. Les émotions, c'est quoi Ça rapporte. Qu'est-ce que tu, tu dis Pas d'heure, ça rapporte, mais, mais des émotions. Mais, mais, mais s'il y a des émotions, ça veut dire des gens y vont. Alors qu'est-ce qui te rapporte Tu sais quoi Je te prends comme mon conseiller. Je trouve que tu as... Avec toi, je risque peut-être de gagner de l'argent dans ma vie. Peut-être. On montre un film, c'est qu'il rapporte et il rapporte au... À qui? Bah, écoute, en principe, euh, au producteur et au réalisateur. Ah, quand même. Il y a des gens qui pensent à ça. Et tu vas le monter. Pas aujourd'hui, dans six mois, dans un an. Oui, tu vas le vendre. Aussi. Tu vas le vendre. Démontre-moi. Vends-le. Non, il faut monter pour vendre. Un film, ça se monte. C'est une, un film, c'est une histoire. Donc, quand il sera monté, à ce moment-là, ah, mais tu as raison, on peut le vendre avant de le monter. C'est vrai, j'avais oublié ça. Ça fait toucher du monde. C'est vrai. Parce que quand on parle de la vie et de la mort, Ça touche tout le monde. Touche tout le monde. Et on aura une clientèle dont tu ne peux pas t'imaginer. Alors, mets-toi au travail. Je suis en train de le faire. Voilà. Là, on... Je... Je bâtis quelque chose sur l'avenir. Absolument. Pas sur le passé, mais sur l'avenir. Tu parles de la mort? Non, je parle, je parle de la vie. De la vie, pas de la mort. Les gens, ils ne vivent pas assez, ils ne voient pas assez à la télévision la mort. Ils ont besoin encore un supplément. C'est fou, quoi. La vie, il faut parler. You're back. I'm back, okay. Uh, well, I deliberately didn't say anything before. Uh, now I'm gonna have to, to get some, some background information because this is the opposite, the very opposite of 
of what I was talking about and it's something uh, being the very opposite, it's a documentary film. And uh, there's something that I've been looking into recently. Um, the story behind this, this is the first three, the first three minutes of a film called Twilight of a Life. Um, and I need to fill you in with some, some you know, uh, uh, introductory information. It was made by uh, somebody called Sylvain Bigelaisen, um, a, a Belgian Jew uh, who was raised in Antwerp and in, in Belgium uh, to a mother who was a, a Holocaust survivor. And she managed to, uh, during the Holocaust, to save her two small children. She lost a very loved husband and she managed to, to uh, get through the war uh, and came back to Belgium, uh, remarried, a kind of convenience. She needed a, a father to her two little children. And as a um, sort of a, a prize or a, a thank you, she bore him a child. And this child is this Stephen uh, Sylvain Bigelaisen, who grew up knowing that his uh, uh, brothers were not the same father. Kind of, it was a secret, but the secret was you know, uh, discovered. And at 18, he went to Israel, and he's been living in Israel since, uh, with occasional trips to, to, to Belgium. Uh, he made, when he was about 60, I mean, his relationship with his mother was very, very complex during to that, you know, the, the past and his childhood, complicated, I should say. Uh, and he went to the age of 60 and made a film, documentary film, called The, called the Last Postcard, where he uh, asks his mother, uh, gets, gets things uh, um, talked about, all these family issues, and, and sort of closing the circle. She was already 87 at, at the time. Seven years later, uh, the children got a message that the, the, the now 94 years old mother was severely ill, and it was probably her last days, and they all came to, to, to Belgium, but uh, miraculously, she was a, a survivor, and a strong woman, she came through. And she lived another two years. When she came through, she was already bedridden, uh, partially um, with partial dementia, and I have to put it very strongly, partial dementia, as it happens in many cases. Uh, and uh, then he went to spend time with her. And as you see, he made a pact with her, made, made an agreement. The, the first film, The Last Postcard, he had to ask her to participate. At this point, seven years later, he he's the one who decides, but he enlists her participation, as you saw in that in that picture, in, in, the, in, the, in, these, in these few minutes. And I think what happens is, is that it's really, it hits the point. The camera is, is above and it gets very close and there's no makeup. And there's, no, there's nothing to facilitate, nothing to soothe, nothing. It's, it's the bare business of being very old. And the, the dialogue, I think, is again is, is very is fantastic. I think because what happens is that she, through her condition, first of all, she doesn't lose optimism. She doesn't lose vivaciousness. She's going to talk to us, she, to, to to her son, about life, not about death, because people see a lot of death everywhere. But on the other hand, she the, the way the way she talks about her her legacy is interesting because when he says that um, it's it's about emotions, not about profit or benefit, what she's saying is some very interesting truth about old age that is getting marrying together the profit and the emotions. She said, what are you blabbering about? If, it's, if it touches the emotions of people, 
is profitable. So there's another way of being profitable, not at the box office, but being profitable as a kind of engagement with someone's, with an old person's experience in, in, in a very, in a very uh, straight, direct way. Okay, so this is what I mean is in terms of the alternative. Of course, it's a documentary. It hasn't had much following, although it was very successful, at least here in Israel, because Big Eliza went with this DVD and met people in the film. He also sings to her, and, and he, a combined kind of singing and telling the story of of his mother and of his, his relationship with, with her. Okay, so that's one example of what I think film, in this case, documentary film, can be. We only saw a few minutes. It's, it's a, it's a 70, 75 minute long, this film, this documentary, in, in the course of which uh, it, it should be an uh, in, in open access uh, article and any day now, but there's a compilation going to come out um, that is uh, about a contemporary um, contemporary looks at aging, illness, and care, edited by Sarah Falkus and Katsura Sako from Huddersfield, England. Um, and uh, I wrote a whole article about these two films and the evolution of caring behavior from the first film to the next, from the time when she was still very lucid and strong to her situation as ill, needy, uh, and, 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 and cared for person. Now the second one, the second example that I want to present, but I'm having some kind of technical difficulty, uh, and I think you need to help me, all right. Uh, is this the, the Venus clip? Yeah. Do you have yeah. the Venus clip? I have it. I'm going to try and uh, share it. Now. Okay. Terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Now, this is a clip from uh, Peter O'Toole's last film, uh, made by, okay, here it is, directed by Roger Mitchell. And the script is Hanif Qureshi. Their partnership spans a lot of, of, of years, starting with the Buddha of suburbia in, 19, in 1994. And then between 2003 and 2013, they made three films about the experience of old age. The first one is called The Mother with Anne, Anne Reed uh, that we won't see. We'll see uh, four minutes from Venus that came out in 2006 about an old Thespian, Peter O'Toole plays an actor who is uh, terminally ill. And in this, and, and there's a, an interesting and very unusual, unstereotypic kind of, of relationship that he has with a young girl that he calls Venus. And she's very far from being a Venus, but that's, that's what he sees in her. Anyway, it, it, it's, uh, he has another relationship in that film with his ex-wife, a wife played by Vanessa, uh, that uh, they've been separated for decades. But they have children, so they still see each other every time, and they, they maintain some kind of very meaningful relationship. And, and we'll see a scene where he comes, he's very lonely, lonely and ill, and he comes to make dinner for her. Okay, and in fact, he, as you will see, he comes to, to say goodbye. All right, can, can you put it on?
Hello. Have I forgotten? Did I invite you? No, I invited you. And I wanted to see you. Did you? Good God. Morris! Morris! Quickly! Why do you keep shouting when I am cooking? took you away from us. It's burning. You will burn, Morris. children under six, to be exact. I can see it must have been inconvenient. But you put your own pleasure first. I did love you. For a time. And for the rest of the time, I was fond of you. Please, no. More than no, fond don't. of you. No, you don't have to. I don't want it. It's my goodbye to you. Why, where are you going? <laughs> we won't live forever. No. Thank you very much for helping with the technicalities. Uh, there's not much that I that I can say, except for the fact. I mean, it's it's to each of us response. Well, the thing is, uh, I want you to notice. I think you've noticed that the rhythm is very different than all these adventure old age pensioner films. Uh, they leave um, the the director, producer, whoever, they leave a lot of space for the actors. Now, the actors do, obviously, a wonderful job. They take the time. They take the time to go into all the nuance. And uh, again, there's nothing forced or nothing that seems forced in that kind of intimacy, of old age intimacy. And of course, the kiss in the end, another, I mean, Anybody can, uh, uh, you know, respond any way we, we want. It's, it's, it's a question of taste, it's a question of preferences, but in terms of uh, a faithful, honest description or cinematic depiction of aging, I think this is much more useful for us than all these wonderful, uh, great experience, uh, great adventures 
that we uh, have become used almost to seeing the last 10 or 20 years. Okay, I'll stop now and uh, wait your responses and questions. Uh, Des, you want to respond first? Okay. Sure. Um, Amir, listen, thanks. That was uh, utterly fantastic. Uh, a part of medical and health humanities and its linked area of cultural gerontology or humanities and aging is around really searching for authenticity and uh, meaning. And I think that you've nicely shown to us that there's two strains of possibilities from looking at these movies, from the mainstream optimistic but unrealistic movies, we can actually get a sense of what it is that people fear and how these fears might be approached. Um, you know, and the, to, to the list of films you have is the ludicrous quartet where, you know, these four people who would never be in a nursing home or in a nursing home singing opera. Um, but there, on the other, it's interesting, there's an art in, in its various forms always has many potentials. And even in, in popular film forms, on the other hand, there are perhaps subtler messages around fitter, healthier, uh, older people who do learn new things. But I think it's it's you, you, you have neatly pointed us towards then the other stream where people are taking the time and the effort to understand uh, the gains to be made from exploring uh, the complexity of aging, uh, the upsides, uh, the downsides, uh, the wisdom. I think particularly in terms of, you know, the opportunities for reforging uh, relationships. I mean, uh, that was utterly fascinating. The the, uh, the the mother in the bed um and i can imagine if she you know appeared on most screens people would have with bed bed bound and with the wrinkles people would be thinking well you know is that a husk and in fact what you're getting is 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 deep thoughts uh deep experience a kind of a smartness and the sort of thing that attracts me uh to working as a geriatrician and to me, it's always a puzzle that people don't see uh, the, the opportunities in the longevity dividend, the things uh, that we can gain. And film studies are useful to us. I, I edit a section of geriatric medical humanities in European Geriatric Medicine, our journal. And it's interesting that the predominant art form, the lingua franca, within which we connect with our students, our trainees, our postgrads, our colleagues, is very much uh, cinema. It's 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 um, not quite a universal language, but it's a language that is universal um, and is seen in in different sorts of ways. Um, your thoughts? Are, well, my particular interest is uh, is is. Um, paralleled in what you're saying about broad brush representations which hit the wider reach and then perhaps the subtler ones um, which then delve deep. Um, your thoughts perhaps on movies that relate to living with dementia. Do you see a similar, I certainly see a similar separation of the ways um, and your own thoughts. Uh, it's fascinating. That, um, the fact that living with dementia can be so enriching in terms of, of, of the carer, in terms of the caregiver. And some, there's some films, but they're really uh, from independent local world cinema uh, that are not dependent on box office success and that show all the, the, the opportunities that you were talking about, all the possibilities of getting into, just as an example, there's a, a, a film from Chile called uh, Old Cats. Uh, someone, a, a colleague of mine wrote a book, published a book two years ago, uh, Raquel Medina, um, like a whole book on, on um, dementia and film. And she also relies on a, a, an article that a paper that I wrote, had written before about this film. And it's a film that was filmed in somebody's, in, in the actress's apartment. And it really shows, uh, first of all, it gets under the skin of, of, uh, of, 
the, the experience of being mentored, like not from the outside, from the inside. And films can do that. That's something that, that the films are capable and, and with the right with, with, with the right director and the right attention, it can be in, it can be made. The other thing is it's just about the, this film. It, it's a film about an old woman who gradually goes into, into dementia and she has a problem with her daughter. They don't relate very well. And the daughter is very demanding and she daughter wants her apartment, as is the case in, you know, very often. And what happens is that through her dementia, she cuts the, the time, she invents a story that is supposedly, supposedly have taken, have, has, had involved her daughter and he, she made it, she makes it her own story. And, mm -hmm. and, and by that, by sort of crossing uh, our consciousness because of, of the dementia, she's able to regain access, like emotional access to her daughter. She, she, she tells a story that's supposed to be her daughter's, which, and it is her own, something she remembers from early childhood. Now, this is only an, an, a small example, but uh, uh, the fact, for example, that there's the, the thinking of a demented person uh, is not demolished, but is transformed. And the kind of transformation that dementia can make alongside with the ravages, okay, mm -hmm. is giving a new perspective. And some of the films that can, can show it, I, I can give, we had, had, if we had time, a lot of examples. There's a Turkish film called Pandora Box. I don't mm -hmm. think it's, it, it never, uh, you know, it, it never got exposure like uh, to the white, white public done by a Turkish director who was very well known in Turkey and in Europe. And again, it's a story of, of a, an old woman with Alzheimer's. And the thing is that it, it, it shows in a pan shot, it opens with a pan shot, seeing her getting into dementia, her first, let's call it attack of dementia. And it's a very sort of horizontal, uh, um, a shot, and the film, and, and what, what happens is it's that she loses, she doesn't lose her way. She goes into the mountain where she thinks she goes to die. This is her. She calls the mountain in her rural place. Okay, in in in, in the Turkish mountain, she calls it my mountain, and this is the only thing that remains. Later on, from her experience, she, the, her family takes her to Istanbul, and she says, she says to her, her, her grandson, "Take me back to my mountain." Mm -hmm. And eventually, he comes. He wakes up in the morning. He takes her back. He sort of snatches her away from the institution that the, that the family puts her in, and he takes her back to the village. And one morning, he wakes up and he sees her. It goes to the beginning of the film. He sees her again going into the mountain. Now. What is there to do? Now, it's her situation versus our situation as caregivers. It's the morality versus identification. It's her as a person and her as a, as, as, as a sick Alzheimer's disease woman. And this, this is where the film leaves us. Now, the pen shot at the beginning turn, turns to a vertical shot, and it shows her going up the mountain until it stops before the sky. All right. So her uh, plight as as a human being, as a, a woman with dementia, but a human being with with wills and beliefs, and the situation of the caregiver, the the dilemma coming together and leaving us the hard work of deciding what's the ending, what would we do in her place. So again, it's the opposite of fast food films that we used to in, in the mainstream, in, in mainstream cinema. We have, to, we have to get into it. We have to put a lot of work, a lot of mental work, and we, have, we are put in a difficult position that we are the ones who, are, who have to sort of close it up, round it up, solve for ourselves, not only for the protagonist, for ourselves as well. So this is what independent film can do. And this is why I, I quoted Anne Basting saying that, well, independent films are only in PBS. By the way, just a, a small, a, a short mention, uh, Venus is midway 
between Roger Mitchell's their their their, their whole partnership production midway between mainstream and independent somewhere in between because it does have appeal it does use very famous very excellent actors but it also it also take you know you know what it does it leaves them to do the work it doesn't interfere yeah. like you would like to have continued seeing peter o'toole and vanessa redgrave it's their films it's not the audiences it's not the director it's not the producer so that's something that is not very very uh, often being done it can only be done when uh, in in independent framework with with low budget okay and you've raised a very interesting film studies concept the idea of mode of address and what you're leaving back uh, to the audience and certainly it's those techniques and occasionally there are films that jump the barrier the German version of Honig im Kopf by a very popular German maker who intellectuals don't think much of, Till Schweiger, is the most wonderful portrayal of the positivities and negativities of dementia. Our time is a little over, but I'd like to, to respond to a comment from uh, one of our participants about the, how enriching the experiences for carers, but also exhausting and draining. And what can we do about it? Now, what I think is potentially interesting in terms of a medical and health humanities approach, and I'll ask Amir just to say on that, is perhaps for us to challenge some of the overwhelmingly negative narratives that come out in some of the more popular films about dementia. Uh, those of us in the, in the dementia community, for example, found Still Alice deeply inauthentic. We found away from her, completely drab. Uh, on, I've been working with dementia for over 30 years, um, uh, this was uh, an outsider's view, and possibly shockingly for those of you um, uh, from the recent Oscar awards, people living with dementia who are theatre people and professionals all found the father also deeply inauthentic, uh, lazy, lazy script writing. So perhaps our role is to make sure in this space without being a Pollyanna or saying it's all great and it's all fine, but there are rewarding elements to caring. I've been an adult carer myself, family members with living with dementia, but through the medical and health humanities, it's to take a critical stance that poses public questions. Amir, a few thoughts on that, and we then we'll close. Um, there was one thought that crossed my mind while you were talking. Uh, oh yeah, uh, you, you talk about the negative, picture of, of dementia. Uh, well, the thing is that what I, I'm going back to the films, to the mainstream films, I deliberately didn't talk about dementia. Okay, because I want I wanted to raise a general sort of professional question, what we do and how do we position ourselves vis-a-vis -vis this, this popular film. But the thing is um, that what seems to be, what appears to be, a positive, even those that appear to be a positive picture of triumph and victory and, and achievement are in a way agistic in a very subtle way because of their disregard for complexity and for the real world. What they're trying to, to, to give us is something, it, it, it's a subtle, almost ironic kind of ages. It sort of, it, it poses as uh, um, empowerment, but underneath there's always this kind of miserabilism of, of you know, of, of the old protagonist who is so miserable that only a feat of, of, of adventure will, will save him. So it's tricky. Uh, this is about the usual in, in mainstream. Um, about what you said about dementia, I, I can only, you know, fully agree and I think that uh, again I'm, I'm saying that film that filmmaking can be very uh, instructive not just in terms of experience but very instructive about the possibilities about the different kind of thoughts but the different kind of worldview that people with dementia are going through and having much difficulty in communicating but that's what the film can do for for them and for us to communicate these 
these these uh, instances, these difficulties, these these um, these new ways of thinking and, and being and experiencing. Okay. Great. Well, listen, a huge thank you to Professor Cohen Shalev uh, for a really illuminating talk, which I think hopefully has challenged us, made us rethink how we view film, see the opportunities in it in terms of explaining and understanding aging and developing a critical sense. Um, I can strongly and warmly recommend his uh, all of his papers and books, but particularly the one on aging and cinema. And you may spread the word that this talk has been recorded as sound talk and will be available on the Trinity Long Room Hub uh, website in due course. I'd just lastly like to mention our next seminar, which is um, Aaron Lamb, who's the faculty's lead on humanities uh, in the School of Medicine, Case Western University, a very prestigious North American university. And she's been the co-editor of a textbook on research in medical and health humanities with the Oxford University Press, Wednesday, the 20th of October. So to those of you who participated, thanks for the questions and the comments, to uh, Amir and again to the staff, Quiva and the Long Room Hub, thank you very much. And we'll see you on Wednesday, the 20th of October. Thank you very much, and thank, thanks, Cleva, for the uh, technological hub. What what would we, would we have done without her? <laughs> and thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Love is a community. Bye bye. Manuscript, book, in touch, and print thank you. Of in thank you. Languages, the history of the Taimoria Library, as well as being heard. The hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The hub is about impact. The hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism. Here's to the next 10 years. <laughs>